and your love endures forever. Thanks for the reminder this morning that you are looking over us, that you love us, um, and that you come to our help and our rescue. That we matter to you. Although sometimes it may seem bleak and um, helpless, our hope is in you, Jesus. Our hope is in no one else. Our hope is uh, built on nothing else than on Jesus and, and his righteousness, Lord, which means that uh, we're correct with you and, and that you're correct 100%. But that also that you bestow your justice over us, that you make right things wrong in due time. Lord, as we open up the scriptures this morning, would you just anoint us afresh? Would you give us uh, uh, new wine sacks for the new wine that you want to pour out? Would you make us uh, uh, just recipients of the anointing and the word that you have for us this morning afresh? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you guys tired of Nehemiah? I'm glad nobody answered that question. All right. So this morning, I want to talk to you guys um, out of Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, and the theme of our talk is, are we listening? A call to social responsibility and the poor. All right. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 is really, really good. It's almost like a turning point in the book. Um, uh, they're almost about finished building the walls. Uh, they still have some opposition. And Nehemiah realizes that there's some stuff going on in the camp. There's some stuff that's wrong um, in the camp. And then the people finally are probably putting two and two together and saying, hey, maybe Nehemiah is not here just to rebuild the wall." There's something else that he's been sent here to do, which is to help rebuild the way that we do life with each other and the way that we do life with God. Amen? So what I want to do is um, talk about these three things, and I want to point them out in Scripture to you. The first one is, nothing reveals our spirituality more than the way that we treat others. Okay? There's three things that we'll, that we'll talk about in Scripture. The second thing is, believers are called to teach the world how to treat the poor. Us as believers are called to teach the world how to treat the poor. The third thing is that the poor do not need abstract support. They need concrete commitments. Okay? That the poor don't need abstract support, but we need uh, to be concrete commit. We need to have concrete commitments. All right? So let me just kind of catch you up to where we're at right now. Nehemiah chapter 5 begins with a complaint of the people. Um, and there's four groups involved in this complaint. Let me just read uh, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll read the rest of them together. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. The word outcry used in that verse is the same uh, uh, word used in the Hebrew language, right? Um, when the Jews cried out, that's what outcry means, cried out, right? Invert that thing. When they were in slavery in Egypt. It's the, same, it's the same word that's used. So they were so incensed, so being oppressed, 
that the writer of Nehemiah chooses to use that word on purpose. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we're of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. There are four people in, in just those few verses. The first is, group number one is people who own no land but needed food. Group number two is landowners who would mortgage their property in order to buy food. Group number three, people who had complained that their taxes were too high. And group number four, wealthy Jews who had loaned fellow Jews money and took their borrowers' land and children for collateral. There was a lot of stuff that was going on that was wrong. Fiscally, as far as money is concerned, right? Uh, socially, as, uh, as far as relationships were concerned, right? So they're, they're mostly through their entire project now, and they're running out of grain, right? The, the people at the bottom of the barrel are saying, we cannot feed our kids, we are being oppressed, not by the Assyrians or, or the people around us, but by our own people. Okay, we're being taken advantage of by our own people. And so that's where we pick up. And this is what, what uh, Nehemiah's response is. Can, can we read this together? Can you guys see this? Can we read this together? All right. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6 to about 12. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find something to say, could not find something to say. So I continued, what you were doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. All right. You guys sound good. All right. 
let's uh, break this down a little bit. So Nehemiah goes on and says to the, to the folks, all right, man, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong here. And I love something that happens here. He says, when I heard their outcry, he was attentive. This isn't the first time in the book that Nehemiah hears his people. At the beginning of the book, if you remember in chapter 1, he asks for the welfare of his people. How are my people doing back in Jerusalem? Even though he wasn't from Jerusalem, if you remember that correctly. All right? And he gets reports that they're very vulnerable. All right? He returns to Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall with the permission of the king. And when he gets there, he realizes that it's worse than they actually reported it first. Not only is the city physically in disarray, it's socially in disarray, it's spiritually in disarray. And I wonder if Nehemiah at one point is thinking, I wonder if I bit off more than I can chew. How many of you guys ever felt that way? God's calling me to something. I wonder if I bit off more than I can chew. But it's important to notice that Nehemiah hears the outcry of the people. And that's why we named this talk, Are We Listening? Are we listening? I wonder if we're listening. Listening with compassionate hearts. Listening with hearts uh, with the gospel as our rudders. I don't think it's a big jump for us to say that our walls are broken, right? That our uh, society is broken. That our relationships are broken. That it's more than physical around here, the, the, the boarded up houses. That there's something beneath the surface that the way we treat each other a lot of times is not right. The way we handle business with each other a lot of times is not right. The way that we handle ourselves with the Lord, and we'll see this a little bit further, a lot of times is not right. So... I wonder if we're listening. I wonder if we're listening. With everything going on in the world today, right? I wonder if we're listening. And it's crazy to me that we're in this book of Nehemiah and all this stuff is happening with um, uh, the burning of the black churches, seven. Um, and, you know, I think it's, so far it's only three confirmed that we're arson, but it seems coincidental to me. But Hey, and uh, with all the stuff, you know, New York, Ferguson, McKinley, Baltimore, and those of us who are non-black, I wonder if we're listening. Or if it's, hey, you know, it's just black people being black. They're, you know, like, hey, it's just, hey, it, same song, Right? Or I wonder if we're saying, hey, man, how you been this week? I, 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 I can't really enter in, but I'm trying. Can you, is there something you can share with me that can make me understand just a little bit better? 
I wonder if we're listening. Or have you got your mind made up and you figured it out as a non-black? You figured out the entire black existence. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we're listening. So I have a couple questions for us today, but, but that's just the first one, right? But the, and, and the main one, right? With everything that's going on, I wonder if we're listening. And that's just not with the, with the black plight, right? There's sometimes, and we try to, people that are, are concerned about others, and, and sometimes people that are going through adversity on their own, what we do a lot of times is we prioritize our adversity over the adversity of others, right? And I think that we go really, really wrong when we do that, right? Instead of looking at our struggles as parallel struggles, we prioritize our struggles, right? Anytime we do that, we're off, right? The black struggle is as important as the Native American struggle, is as important as the struggle of poor people all over America, regardless of what their color is. Right? Are you with me? We're talking about parallel struggles here. Okay? A lot of times people, I mean, yes, there's history. And I'm the first to admit that I tip my hat off to black folks in America. Because if, if there's breakthrough for black folks, it's going to be a trickle-down effect for everybody else. You may not know that, black folks, but I, as a Hispanic, I'm next in line. And I'm hoping, let's get this breakthrough, right? right. right. Are you with me? Some of you are tired of race talks. It's only the beginning. And we cannot, uh, it won't get better unless we talk about it. And unless, really, the church leads the charge, right? Amen. Are you guys quiet because you're listening or because I'm putting you to sleep? All right. All right. Let's, let's bring this back and let's talk about something that reaches to everyone. Poverty. And that's exactly what Nehemiah chapter 5 is about. People being taken advantage of. Right? And, and Nehemiah uh, talking about uh, the Jews taking advantage of other Jews. His race taking advantage of people in his race. So insert your, hey man, do people that look like me, sound like me, like the same type of food that I like, right? Do we take advantage of each other? Right? And so ask yourself that question. And that's what's happening right here in this context of Nehemiah 5. All right? Warren Wiersbe says this, God has a special concern for the poor and will not hold those guiltless who take advantage of them. Even the people of God get this wrong sometimes. Even us as Christians, amen? The people of God, the Jews got this wrong. He sent them Nehemiah to say, hey, get it right. Get it together. Just because you're Christian does not mean you have all your ducks in a row. It means that now you actually are held to a higher responsibility Living the life, living your life according to the gospel. Living your life, loving your neighbor as yourself. Amen? And that's what Nehemiah chapter 5 is about. So, back to the first point. Nothing reveals our spirituality more 
than the way that we treat others, especially those who can do nothing for us in return. Nothing reveals our spirituality more how, how close or unclose you are with Jesus than the way that we treat others. And I'll show you where that's at in the scripture. So you're like, Luis made that up. Especially those who can do nothing for us in return. You want to measure your spirituality? This is how you measure that. How do you treat people that can never pay you back? That is the mark of a disciple. Are you willing to die both figuratively and actually for your neighbor? Are you willing to be criticized for your neighbor? Are you willing to make some adjustments to your budget for your neighbor? Amen? Amen. This isn't that far-fetched, right? Matthew uh, 25 talks about the least of these. You guys heard that, right? And, and, and Jesus says, when you do this stuff, feed people, clothe people, uh, uh, visit people in prison, or at, at, uh, you know, visit the sick, the shut-in, you don't really just do that for them. You actually did that for me. And so your reward does not come from them. Your reward comes from me. So is there margin in our lives? Another question, right? For us to help those who could never pay us back. Let me spin this real quick. And this is all about attitude. I love the tension in the gospel, though. Because some of us are um, gung-ho about this stuff, right? And we tend to judge other people who are not, okay? Let's not do that anymore, Luis. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching up here, I'm preaching to myself, right? Because the gospel is as important for me as it is for you. I'm still being sanctified, purified by the gospel. I don't have it all together, right? And these things, when I'm bringing it up to the surface... The Lord's saying, Luis, you still got stuff to work on. Amen? Um, so, I just lost my place for a second. <laughs> All right, nothing reveals our spirituality more than the way that we treat others, especially those who can do nothing for us in return. So that's how you gauge your spirituality, right? I'll talk about uh, concrete commitments, how we can, uh, some ideas for that later. All right, verse 6 and 7 says that. Where do I see that? I see that right here. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. The type of thing that makes you angry reveals a lot of things about you. What sort of things piss you off? Go ahead, walk out, right? Because you're more angry that I said that than that people are going to bed in our city with nothing to eat or they don't have anything to, to, to wear or, or a roof on their head. No, you guys, we've been training you, so you, you know, you're not going to walk out. 
Got you, Chico. I'll tackle you on your way. So nothing reveals more about your character than what pisses you off. The things you get mad about reveal who you are. You can't find the remote. If it's late and I've been out all day, I'm sorry. Do you get angry because some people don't have things to eat or some people are being mistreated? Do you get angry as a non-black person when seven churches are burnt up? Does that make you upset? Or only things that affect you directly make you upset? There's a word for that. It's called selfishness. But there's another word called sanctification that says, I want to be more like Jesus. So those of us who are selfish, Luis, lean in and say, hey man. Nothing, and, and this is not Nehemiah, but nothing will um, expose your selfishness more than being married. Those of us who are married or having kids will expose your selfishness. Three, three in the morning with my girls, Melissa, Melissa rolls over and says, can you change the baby? I have to remind myself that I'm saved. I'm saved. Saved, Luis. You're saved. Yes, babe. I'll change this baby. Luis, can you burp the baby? I'm saved. I need to honor my wife. I need to honor my children. I need to live for them more than I live for myself. Right? Why did I get into this relationship if that was not what that was going to be about? Right? So nothing will, will unearth your selfishness more. So far in my experience, my limited life experience, as being married and having children. Oh, I really want those shoes. Dang, man. John's comfy, too. You with me? All right. Next thing, next point, right? Verse 9, let's, let's just say verse 9, just so I can ground this in Scripture before we move on. What you are doing is not right, right? That's what, that's what Nehemiah says to the people. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? What you're doing is not right. He lets him bother him so much that he does something about it. Right? And some of you might ask this question, well, there's so much to do, where do I begin? And let me remind you this morning that the Lord's not asking you to do everything. He's only asking us to do something. Right? Mother Teresa always said, there's, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Love that quote. Right? Memorize it. Get a tat. Right? If you're one of those people that want to do great things, the Lord will open doors for you that no man can open. And you can't, I love this t-shirt. If somebody, it's out on the internet. If you want to get it to me, um, 
you know, Christmas is coming soon. It, it says, it says, the shirt says, grace gets me in places hustling can't. His grace will get me places that hustling can't. Now, those of you, I mean, I know Philly's got, now I'm saying, hustles, all right? And, and people's always got an angle, right? But the Bible is clear that the Lord can open doors no man can close, and he can close doors for you that no man can open. So we are completely reliant on his mercy, his grace, and his favor. God, open those doors. Amen? Today, I, I, I sense an anointing to kind of, I'm coming at you with a hand of steel with a, with a, with a, with a very soft glove. Because <laughs> the Lord loves you, right? The Bible says that those he loves, he corrects. Otherwise, you're a bastard child. Because I cannot go and correct your child like that. Society doesn't work that way, at least not anymore, right? But if my son, right, as we are his children, needs correction, I can go ahead and do that. Amen? All right, second point. Believers are called to teach the world how to treat the poor. Where do I get that from? Verse 9 again. Nehemiah asked them this question. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? The church is called and is charged by God to teach the world how to love others. The world doesn't know how to love others. They a lot of times do their best at it, but they fall short. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And you, on your best day, your batting average is probably 500 on, lo on, on loving others. And I hope it gets better and better and better as your life goes on with the Lord. Right? But loving others the way that God calls us to love others, we cannot do on our own. We can only do... With the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit's not gonna um the Holy Spirit is gonna comfort. The Holy Spirit is gonna judge sin correctly, right? But he's also gonna come around and say, hey man, but there's a promise. The Bible says that he is infinitely patient. And while you still have an opportunity to repent, there's repentance available for you as there is for me. I'm not batting a thousand yet either. And so we don't judge people from a high horse, right? We offer compassion side by side, right? First thing, right? Nothing reveals our spirituality more than the way that we treat others especially those who can do nothing for us in return. And secondly, believers are called to teach the world how to treat the poor. And you're wondering, hey, but I'm poor too. My bills are late. What am I called to do? You're called to do something. 
And in our boat, a lot of there's always someone less fortunate than you. You know, the reality is I don't have a lot of money, right? And I've said this, and I'm, I'm going to preach this till you guys get this, till you guys start uh, opening your homes to strangers, right? Till, till Truvine becomes a house of hospitality. Till that is in our DNA crazy. There's never lack at least of food in my house because my fridge and my cupboard's always open. And that's a promise of the scriptures. He says, those who take care of others in need, this is the Luis paraphrase, the Lord will look out for you. So there, there might be a fact that you are laid on a couple of bills, but is your cupboard full? And is someone down the street cupboard empty? Amen? Amen. Am I preaching to you guys yet or no? All right, we're almost wrapping up. All right? And so, and so Nehemiah stands up. And listen, this is not that easy because he speaks to his own people. It's always hard to say those people over there are doing wrong. You know what I'm saying? Those people have not gotten it right. Those people don't have Jesus in their heart. Right? But if your own people people you have deep familiarity with, who knows your stuff, your crap, and you know theirs, you say amen. Maybe it's time for some of us to repent. You know exactly what you're doing and things that you're not supposed to be doing. Holy Spirit, come. That was a glimpse of my ADD. You guys just got it, right? That's... (laughs) Amen. You know that thing we're doing? We shouldn't do that anymore, man. That is not of the Lord. You know, let's get that right. It might take us some time. It took us a while to get here. Um, but let's figure that out, man, because that is not God's will for our life. He calls out his own people. That's not as easy. Calling out your own people. Oh, man, we, we don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Don't hear what I'm not about to say, right? Amen. You're Hispanic now, right? Hey, man, you know, we're racist against our own people, man. You need to stop that. It's messed up homes. <laughs> we, need, we, we need to get, get fix that, bro. You know? How do we, how do we create something where, where everyone feels welcome? You know? We need to repent of that, man. We need to pray and find ways to do that. You know, the way we spend our money um, is, 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 is not so good, man. Yeah. I'm refraining from making a joke, but you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let, let's get on that. You know? And so you gotta have hard conversations with people that you have familiarity with. People that are, and that's exactly what he did. And lastly, the poor do not need abstract support, they need concrete commitments. Amen. All right? Uh, I heard that somewhere, and, and, and um, 
you know, I tailored it to this, but that's exactly what I see here when Nehemiah calls them and he says to them, you guys need to stop uh, abusing your own people. You need to stop using your own people. And I'll give you a background and um, I'm going to call the team up in like two minutes um, to help me out with something. Um, and he says, let me, and, and, and I love what Nehemiah says here in, in verse 10. Um, he says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending to those who are going through it money and grain. But we're not doing it um, for interest. Because the Lord forbade people in the Old Testament to lend people money with interest. Yes, we're lending other people, but we're not going to lend each other money with interest. One thing that I learned in life so far is if you're going to lend people money, make sure you can give that money away. Right? And in fact, I don't lend money. People, once people know that, people don't ask me no more. Because I'll just give, if, hey man, let's say, can I borrow $200? Nope. But here's $200. Boom. There's no formula there. It's not the tithe of what you ask, so don't ask. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right? <laughs> because I know that money makes things sticky. And if I'm going to lend some money to you, I need to know that. So don't lend it. Just give it away. Because if you can't afford to lose it, you're, you can't afford to lend it. Right? So that's a hard thing. That's a discipleship thing. Hey, I'm going to stop this before the enemy puts a, a, a seed that's going to grow into a root of bitterness that's going to lead into a fruit of rage and all sorts of crazy stuff. Hey, Amen. I, I don't loan money. That's a personal line for me. You can ask anybody. I learned that already. Here's 20 bucks, man. That's all I can do. That's a boundary for me. Okay? God bless you, man. Amen. If I hear something, there's jobs, something, I'll, I'll let you know. You know? All right? So where do I get this third point from here? The poor don't need abstract support. They need concrete commitments. Verse number 12, where he calls on those folks. He says, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, you know, the, the fourth group of people, the Jews who were uh, uh, taking advantage of the other Jews uh, who had put up their kids and their lands up for sale and more, not for sale, mortgaged their lands just so that they can eat because they were in really hard times. Nehemiah says, that's wrong. That's not of God. Don't you know what the uh, Old Testament says? And then I think that's when the light bulb goes off, perhaps, in their hearts and in their minds. He said, maybe Nehemiah is here for something other than just rebuilding the walls. He's here to help us rebuild our city in every sense of the word. He's here to rebuild the way we do relationships with each other. He's here to rebuild the way uh, people with, you know, haves deal with the have-nots. Right? Elected officials, nobles, how they deal with the people that they uh, uh, should be protecting and serving. Okay? Catch the drift. Right? And he's saying, let me restore this. Right? And he's restoring um, order. And I love their response. They say, we will give it back, they said. 
This is his charge. Let's go back to 11. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest that you're charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They were charging them 1% interest. You're like, well, that's not that much. That's to keep them honest. God said, don't do it. If God said, don't do it, don't do it. Stop asking questions. You're not smarter than God. I'm not going there. All right. We will give it back as their response, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. The poor don't need abstract support. They need concrete commitments. I'm going to ask the team to come up here and help me out. All right. So let's review. Nothing reveals our spirituality more than the way that we treat others. Two, believers are called to teach the world how to treat the poor. And three, the poor don't need abstract support. What do you mean by abstract support? Oh, yeah, I really love kids in Africa. Well, use your gifts to love some kids in Africa. How about that? You, you sing, you write, write a, write a couple songs, and your proceeds, would you go and use them to bless the kids in Africa? I really love homeless people. Okay, so take out your wallet, buy a pretzel, buy two pretzels, and sit down with a homeless person and hear them. I wonder if we're listening. I wonder if we're listening. So here's some ideas for some concrete commitments. Buy some groceries for that neighbor you know is having a hard time. You know which neighbor that is, right? Anybody can do that, right? If you got a little bit extra in your cupboard. If you're the person that needs in, in their cupboard, we should be like the church of Acts in Acts chapter 2. Hey, man, I ain't got it this week. Can you hold me down? Then A couple weeks later, hey, man, I got extra. Now you ain't got it. All right, let's make that work. Stop and chat with the next homeless person you see. Share a pretzel or whatever. If you're in New York, share a slice of pizza. Hear them, ask them, how can I pray for you? And actually, listen. I wonder if we're listening. Volunteer at our food pantry. We always need volunteers. We have a food pantry that runs every Sunday from 1230 to 1. And on the second and the fourth Thursday of the month, if, you're, if you have food insecurities, if you don't know where your meal's coming from, your next meal's coming from, holler at us. Even if you come to True Vine, volunteer at our food pantry. We always need more people. Another idea, commit to putting together an entire backpack for our back-to-school drive. That's a way. Or do a half a backpack. Go in with another family. Do two backpacks if you got it. Do five. Concrete commitments. There are people in our neighborhood that can benefit from this. All right? And my kids are not of school age, so we don't want a backpack. All right? Just so you know. Another one. Ask questions about your stuff. I love this. Bridgie, talk to Bridgie about this. And Courtney, uh, we talked about this in Bible study two weeks ago. Who makes my stuff? Under what conditions do they work, the people that make my stuff? Are the people who make my stuff paid fairly? And it might cost you a little bit more for the stuff that you have to make sure that the people that make your stuff 
are working under good conditions and are being paid the wages that they're owed. Amen? And lastly, pray and talk to your spouse. This is a big one about fostering or adoption. That's just an idea. The Lord is called the church to teach the world how to love people. We cannot expect the world to know how to love if from within, we ain't got it just yet. The biggest question the Lord will ask us the day we meet him is not going to be, please answer these 120 questions on Scantron. And I hope you brought a number two pencil. He's going to say, did you learn to love? Would you stand with us and uh, sing this song with us? And then we'll take some time to pray with each other. Maybe share your burdens with one another.